in preaching revival, I, when I'm down and I'm praying and I understand what revival is for, usually I'm encouraged for the revival. Thus, the first sermon, there is a remedy. That remedy is prayer. There's nothing you're going through that everybody else hasn't gone through. And the way the believers get through it is praying. But, but then usually God turns me to personal housekeeping. And I don't like that. Uh, I'm good with a dirty house. You know, I just, my wife may not like it as much, but I'm good. I'm good. You know, I, I know where to find the shoes at right there. You know, that's good. So I'm, for me, this is a problem. And it may not be for you. It is for most of the guys that come into our rehab. Uh, they have some things they've not resolved yet, and the drug's not their core problem. It may be what everybody gets to see, but their core problem's deeper than what that is. But to be honest with you, I grew up in a family that, they're Scotch-Irish, we lived in the deep Appalachians. Very poor, very violent area. And my family was the same way. You get Scotch-Irish mix, you get people that love to fight. And you get people that are no good at it. So that's a bad combination. But you get hit with anything they had in their hand. And what that did to a little boy was taught me something. And it taught me something that was terrible. Well, I can tell you I'm a believer now and I try my best to stay away from that. But inside my mind, there's this guy in a cage that just rattles the cage and tells me, if you let me out, I'll fix this. He don't have a name. I just call him the monster. And I try not to let him out. Matter of fact, I'll leave before I let him out because I don't even think he's a Christian. He, he takes it too far. He lies to me. Let me out, I'll fix it, and then I'll go right back in. The problem is when he gets out, it's too hard to get him back in. And I struggle with that. Nobody gets to see it because I run, I leave. But I deal with it day in and day out as I try to keep that monster at bay and try to honor God at the same time. One day it'll be great when I get up to heaven. God's going to open the door up to that cage and cast him away. That's going to be fantastic. But until then, I get to fight him on a regular basis. And I don't think I'm the only one here that's got a monster. But this is the problem I've got. I was taught it. And I want to share it some with you. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 through 32. I don't have to read all these, but I jumped up and grabbed 24, and it starts this way. And that you put on a new man. <laughs> what a song. Which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Hey, you're allowed to be angry. You're just not allowed to sin when you do it. What fun is there is that? Hey, let's go visit the Krispy Kreme so we can see how they glaze donuts. Is that all we're going to do? Yeah, I'm not interested. 
Be angry, sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, a thing which is good that he may have to give unto him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, and wrath, and anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Let me give you some definitions here. Clamor means tumult. Evil speaking, vilifying someone. With all malice, don't cause trouble. And be kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. There's three things he ends that off with. Be kind, be tenderhearted, and forgive. I'm kind. If I see you with a flat tire, I'm going to stop. I'm either going to show you how to do it because you're a man and you all know how. Or two... It's because you need some help. I'm kind. Tender-hearted. If you need shoes, I'll give you mine. My wife hates that. <laughs> I'll come home one day and the bed's going to be gone. I did that. <laughs> and then our supper changed plans. We were headed off to go buy a bed somewhere. I like camping. I just married wrong. I can be tender-hearted. But it's that third one that haunts me. I have to forgive. I'd love to tell you I'm forgiving. I'd love to tell you that nothing ever gets on my nerves and stays on my nerves. But I can't. Those three things exist together. I can't be kind and tenderhearted if I'm not forgiving. I will blow my horn for kindness and tenderheartedness, but God's not hearing it yet because I don't have the forgiveness part down. And where does he want them done? He wants it done in front of our neighbors, in front of everybody we're around. Even those, that means at work. And some of those people need smacked in the name of Jesus. But he wants me to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Kind simply means better, easy, or good. Literally, put those words together. In the Greek, it means employed. <laughs> Tenderhearted means well-compassioned, sympathetic. Forgiving is to cancel the debt, to give, or to grant. True forgiveness is remembering the offense but refusing to hold it against them. I know how to practice that because I've done it before. Megan was just three years old and her and mom was gone all day long going to the mall. It was about 70 miles to the mall. It was 28 miles to the closest gas station. We lived in the country. 
but I loved it. But they were gone all day. So I knew when Mama come home, she was going to be frazzled. She was going to be mad that she had two children. Might have ever have two because we wanted more than one. And, and so she would, that would be, when she came home, it's about 6 o'clock. And I, I already had supper ready. Yes, I did. Supper was already ready. Megan comes in. She's full of life. Lynn looks aggravated. I drop down on my knees. I look at that little girl and said, you want some of this? Down on my knees I went. She come running at me full bore and went, mm. <laughs> I had a life moment right then. It just changed me. I fall on the floor. She crawls on my head screaming, who's your daddy? As she's pounding my brains out. <laughs> 20 minutes later, pack of ice, I'm laying on the bed. Megan's, we're from the mountains. You bath the children. She's bathing the children. Well, she brings Andrew. He's not but about nine months old and puts him up next to me. says, watch him while I take care of Megan. And Andrew takes some little baby fingers and comes up over my head, goes in my nostrils. You know them little sharp, little tiny razor blades? God gives them right in my nose and pulls and I'm screaming. And Lynn comes running in. I said, get these kids away from me. They're killing me. But I'm not mad at them. My kids, I forgave them. It's just what you do. I don't hold it against them. Right now, it's funny. I got beat up by my own three-year-old. It was great. I don't think that's what the text is talking about. True forgiveness cancels a debt. But Pastor Hurt, doesn't the Bible say do unto others as they do unto you? No, it doesn't. But I prefer that translation. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Better translation for me, do unto others before they do it unto you. Or do unto others in a greater measure than they gave it to you. What most of us mean when we say, I forgive, is I won't blow up at you. That's what most of us mean when we say, I forgive. And that's not forgiveness, that's pride. Because you're going to reserve the right to the key of the monster. I forgive you, but I'm going to take away my time and attention from you, because I'm going to make you pay. That's not forgiveness. Well, I'll withhold affection. That's not forgiveness, that's punitive. You're going to make them pay. Well, I'm going to deprive my parent or my guardian because I'm mad at them from respect that is due to them. I forgive you, but I will not respect you. It could show up in forms of us choosing not to celebrate accomplishments or acknowledge accomplishments or achievements on special days for somebody else because somewhere down there, we have not forgiven them for what they've done. Well, my mother wasn't the best mom or my mother was mean to me, so I'm not going to send her a birthday card. It's not forgiveness. You know, with all three of those illustrations, is there at any point in your life where you could handle that type of response from God to you? None of us could handle that type of response. We're begging for the grace of God to forgive us and to keep us that way. But we could not at any point in our life handle that from God. To say that I forgive but I plan to punish is not forgiveness, it's lying. And God says in that passage, put away lying because it makes you a liar. Nobody wants to be called that. 
You get a card in the mail from family or a used-to-be friend or it's a gift. And you throw it away. You don't want to check on it. Well, you first want to make sure it's not money. Then you throw it away because you don't even want to receive it. That person lives in your head rent-free. I was stopped years ago in Oklahoma by a lady. She said, Preacher Hurt, I got a bone to pick with you. And I turned around and went, okay, I get it. And I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And she went, do you know my name? No. We were at Camp Trinity in Alabama, and we were standing in the... Do you even remember me? No, ma'am, but if it was Trinity Camp, that, that means it was 16 years ago. I need you to forgive me. And she goes, you've not even thought about it. No, ma'am, but I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? And she said, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. And turned around and walked off. Two things. One, I was sleeping good. I was living in her head rent-free and destroying her. And two, I wanted to ask her what I did, but I had to leave it go. That's what unforgiveness looks like. Somebody gets to torment you when they're going on in life, but you're held up. Number one, we are commanded by that text to forgive as Christ forgave. And how did Christ forgive you? He forgave you fast, He forgave you fully, and He forgave you freely. He did those three things. When you asked Him, it was over. He said, you'll never have to ask me about this again. I forgive you. Boom, it was over. Fantastic. And God says you need to do it. You need to forgive. But that's not the way we do it. Because I'm not going to forgive you unless you apologize. That's not forgiveness. That's punitive also. Forgiveness is offered whether the person asks for it or not. Because you're not trying to help them. You're trying to help you. The anger. The beast that takes it out on everybody else. Because you've not dealt with that person, your spouse, your children, your job, people you don't even know, got to put up with it. They got to put up with that. He tells little bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, be done away from you, take it away with all malice. Refusing to forgive somebody is still sin, and it's still a sin against God. God, I want whatever you want for me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But to forgive them, you can go to the devil's house first. I ain't doing it. Right? Well, Pastor, I'd never tell God to go to hell. Really? Is that not what I'm doing when I tell God? I'll do anything you want me to do but I will not forgive them. Let me stop and give a caveat right here. I'm not doubting whatever was done to you was terrible, and I'm sorry you have experienced that type of pain. And God asks us to do something that's going to take his help. But I think he can. I think he's given us a remedy on how to do it. It's ironic. I sin against you because you sinned against me. And I feel I'm justified in my sin because you did it first. And I feel your sin. I don't feel mine. You know what that sounds like? He hit me first. 
Or how about this one? Jesus, I know you died on the cross for this person, and they need you to forgive their sins, and I'm cool with that, but that's not enough for me. I require more. Well, Pastor, that sounds awful prideful. It is. It is. See, when, when I mess up, I'm misunderstood. But when you do it, you're evil. Right? I have to do something because I got weird, weird church members. If there's a death date that's significant in somebody's life, I put it in my phone. And I get reminders. Because there are some days I can call somebody. And I'm like, oh, their mom died this time last year. I'm good. It's not me. Pain. The pain's talking and I'm good. It just helps me not take things personally. I don't carry baseball bats to church anymore. Lord, their death on the cross is what they need, but they also need my silent treatment. Well, Pastor Hurt, there may be an unbeliever. Well, an unbeliever, you can understand, they're going to be punished for eternity anyhow. What help does God need punishing them? All that type of thinking is sinful. All of it is. And it's a sin against the very God that I claim I serve and tell everybody I want to be just like him. The bad part is that you were probably taught this unforgiveness by your parents. It could have sounded like this. Shame on them the first time. But shame on you the second time. It may sound that way. Oh, what comes around goes around. One day, I'm going to make them pay. I heard this one from a Sunday school teacher. That doctor deserves a trip down the steps by my foot. God wasn't within 100 miles of that. Not at all. But you know what the problem is? If I was taught it by my parents, then I must be okay with that type of sin because mom and dad did it. And didn't the preacher say if they didn't make it to heaven, nobody's got a chance. So God must be all right with that type of unforgiveness, right? Because that's what the preacher said. Can I tell you, not everything comes out of a preacher's mouth is true. We want to say something to make the family feel better. We may believe that person's genuinely converted. But God's not okay with their sin either. He had to die for theirs too. He had to die for theirs too. So please understand this. Bitterness is hurting you more than it's hurting the individual that you're mad at. Forgiveness, second of all, is also linked with redemption. It's linked with that. The ability to forgive is rooted in the very life of Christ Jesus in us. That's the ability to do that. We understand that God is in charge of vengeance. And I can tell you that the, the wheels of God may grind slowly, but they do grind efficiently. And when God gets to where he is needing to correct somebody, he does a fantastic job, does not need my help. We also think, though, that if they did us wrong, I need to be avenged. So I'll be praying, God, would you just get them? A person passes you because they're doing 15 an hour faster than you are. And you say, where's the cops when we need one? That's Right? Right? You're speeding too. You're just mad because they're 
a little better at it than you are. <laughs> we feel like we need to be avenged. We feel that. It's hypocritical for me to look at my sin lightly and look at your sin heavily. It's hypocritical for me to do that. There is a difference. There's the radical hypocrite. If you stub their toe, they're going to run you over with the car. That's just how they do that. Those types of people are always afraid that God's not going to accept them and that God really hates them in their mind. Can I make you a promise? The sun didn't come up on anybody today, and God looks says, I'm going to bless everybody but you. I'm going to give everybody a great time, but I'm going to put it to you, not a person. I don't think God wants to be mad at you all day. I think he wants to hang out with you all day. That's what I think he wants to do. That's the radical hypocrite. The unappeasable hypocrite. Always holding the grudge. Never enough punishment. They're just getting what they deserve. And we're okay with that. That God be merciful to me, a sinner, was okay for me. But it may not be all right for you. And I struggle with that. I set the scales differently. What do they think God is thinking about them when they live in sin? Do they think God's all right with that? And from my high horse, I can look and say, you sinner, you wore a Duke shirt to church. We're against the devil. On the high horse, we can do that. We also wonder, am I ever going to get done punishing them? That's part of my problem. Part of my problem is, I believe for me, growing in Christ, sanctification is growing by, sorry, you know who I am. That's just how I am. Would you ever think that if it's just how you are and God had to die for that, he doesn't want you to be that way anymore? He wants you to stop it. It doesn't honor God. Well, it's just the way I am. Great excuse. But it's not going to cut mustard with God. Not at all. It makes no sense. But Pastor Herb, what happens if I'm sorry enough? That doesn't make any sense. How do I get any sorrier than Christ dying on the cross? And how, how do I do that? Well, preacher, if they were really sorry, they wouldn't do it anymore. Well, that don't make sense either. That's, I'm done overeating. Just wait till I drive by Chick-fil-A. That's the Lord's chicken. I am going to be killing that place. Walking out wondering, oh, when did I get seven months pregnant? If they, if they'd have never done it again. They're still human. Whoever it is, it's bothered you. Still human. For some, my parents, they just did the best with what they had. And it's my job to take what they gave me and learn from it. And I pick this book up and I learn from another father and other teachers. And it teaches me better and I want to teach my kids that way. So hopefully they don't have to fight with the monster inside of me. But I'm still human also. And being sorry is not going to stop me from sinning. It won't stop you either. 
Matthew 8, 21 and 22, and Peter came to him and said, Lord, <laughs> how oft my brother sin against me that I forgive him. Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, oh, you don't have a, you don't have a math problem. You've got a, you've got a forgiveness problem. It's not seven times, but until seven times, 70 times, and that was a day. That was not a problem, math problem. Jesus bypassed the question and went to the heart of the matter. Peter, you've got a real forgiveness problem. Here are some of the myths that hang us up. They just hang us up because we've been taught it and we were taught wrong. Uh, I, can, I can only forgive somebody if they ask for forgiveness. Uh, what would you do if that was God's standard for you? When, when I bowed the knee, October 25th, 1987, if I had to rehearse every sin I had ever done before God had forgiven, I'm hellbound. I had to kneel and ask God, would you forgive all of my sin? And the question may be, what happened after you're a Christian? Well, all my sins were future sins when he died. Right? I'm not 2,000 years old. All my sins. That's what he died for. And sometimes we get messed up because we mess up salvation truth and church truth and kingdom truth. But we're not getting into that today. But for salvation truth, all my sin is what put me in the family. And now he deals with me as a son differently than to be saved. Would, would you be willing for that standard only if they ask? Would you be willing for that standard for you to look and say, God, that's the standard I want for me. That's what I want for me. What if Jesus said from the cross, God, forgive, Father, forgive them. For every one of the sins they ask for, but make them responsible for what they don't. We're all in big trouble. The question is, can you know all of your sins? Here's part of my problem. The older I get and the more I grow in the words, the more I find out some things that are an affront to God. And I just don't do them much anymore. And I try my best to confess it and keep going. But if I keep studying for another 10 years, I'm probably going to find out a few things and those are they're still sin whether I know it or not and so do I have to confess it I can't live that way I can't live that way but I want to force everybody else to live that way you ought to know that my mom died this day you ought to know that I'm low on, on calories right now and I'm feeling bad you, you, you should have known I'm hangry right now should have known that and really, I, and in the middle of my rage, all I'm actually truly saying is, I need a nap. But I get grumpy when I'm tired. I get real grumpy when I'm hungry. You put those two things together, and the monster comes out. Pastor Hurt, but I, I thought God covered all our sins in the past. God's grace covers it all. All. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How about this one? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flow, lose all their guilty stains. If I have to believe that forgiveness is only offered 
For when they ask for it, then I must believe that punishment will be maintained until somebody cries uncle. That's not the way God works. If it did work that way, are you at peace? Is the monster quiet? Are you still fighting dead people? I had a lady come to me, bless her heart. Fine lady at my church. She got little issues too. She comes into my office four different times crying about a dead husband because he treated her so mad. And, and finally, what I told her was, after the fourth visit, you cannot come see me again until you write him a letter, go to the cemetery, and read it to him. She said, that's it? I said, no, let's make it a little more flamboyant. Go by Dollar Tree and get a bang-bang. She said, what's that? And, and I said, it's a wiffle ball bat that long but this big around. And just give it to him. Two days later at the diner where I go every morning at 630, I have an officer sit down in front of me and said, I met a lady yesterday from your church. And I was like, oh, did you really? Oh, where was she at? She was at the cemetery. Oh, what was she doing? Screaming, crying, and hitting her husband's tombstone with a wolf of ball bat. And I said, well, did you have to stop her? He said, I wasn't getting out of the cruiser. She had been fighting a dead man. And I promise you, he wasn't thinking about it. But she was. She had to forgive him so she could be set free. Myth number two, forgiveness requires forgetting. Forgetting is a brain defect. If God can forget anything, he's not God. Oh, hold on, preacher. If you start forgetting stuff, you need treatment. It's not normal. It's just not normal. Something's given out on you. Well, preacher, I'm old enough now. My brain's starting. Your brain's getting sicker as you get older. You can hide your own Easter eggs. You know, there's all kind of stuff you can do. Forgetting is a brain defect that needs treatment. When you're younger, when you're younger, your brain files things of importance in order on where they need to go. Some files are meant to be brought back. Some files are not meant to be brought back. Let me prove that to you. April 5th, 2020. What'd you eat for supper? When you start forgetting important stuff, you're sick. You need help. Well, my husband forgot my anniversary. He's a man. He's already sick. Already. Forgiveness does not require forgetting. Forgiveness is remembering the offense, but refusing to hold it against them. Not remembering is forgetting. And if God forgets, God's not God. How does God forgive? He remembers the offense, but he refuses because of your relationship with his son to hold it against you anymore, ever. It's done. Well, preacher, what about the sea of forgetfulness? Uh, that's bad song and terrible doctrine. It's the depths of the sea. But you don't see anything about a sea of forgetfulness in the Bible. Go look it up. Not there. Not there. You can forgive somebody without punishing them. In order to reconcile whatever's going on with you, you're going to have to be able to forgive. You're going to have to be able. Preacher hurt reconcile means get back together. Yeah. Sometimes you fight over misunderstandings. And you don't even know why. Sometimes, 30 years later, you find out the reason you got in a fight was it wasn't worth 30 years of being apart from one another. 
right? Sure it was. I, I just dealt with a family. The woman asked for a divorce. And so they come in, and please, please help your pastor out. If you're having a little bit of trouble, come to him. Don't wait for the train wreck. And then you're bringing 80 cars to him. This is 80 reasons I hate her guts. <laughs> Don't do that. Come to him when you have a small. And let him help then. That would be great. But she won't even look at me when she comes in, and the man's just looking at the ceiling. And I said, oh, okay, so you guys are wanting a divorce, and you came to me. Thanks. What happened? She said, he's just absent-minded and doesn't think of me at all. And I went, oh, who drove? She said, he did. I said, well, he didn't forget you tonight. <laughs> so what happened? My dad was cremated and he threw him away. And so I looked at him and went, ooh. Oh, man, yeah. Dude. I'm losing right now. You threw her dad away. I don't know what to do with that. And I asked her, I said, well, let me ask you, what kind of urn was he in? I'm not lying to you. What kind of urn was he in? Well, he wasn't in an urn. Where was he? He was in a Tupperware bowl. Where was the Tupperware bowl? In the laundry room. Did your husband know it was in the laundry room? No. When he threw it away, what happened? I told him to clean the laundry room. But he threw my dad away. He's unthoughtful. He hates me. He never thinks about me. And I looked at her and went, this is your fault, not his. You set him up to fail. There's no way he could have known dirt was your dad. This is your fault. Stop this silliness and go home. And he went home. I'm never going back to that preacher again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Four days ago. She found dad. She moved him, put him underneath the bed. She's asking for a divorce after she set this guy up. And she's prideful enough after she found dad, she wouldn't end that. She's got some stuff to deal with. Reconcile, come back together. There is worse, though. I've got a lady that ha in my church now who is beaten by her father, molested by her father, and to shut her up, he let her on fire. And I'm looking at her telling her, you need to forgive him. Forgive him. I don't even want to be close to him. Don't ever get close to him again. Don't ever go visit him again. But he's not the problem right now. He's in your brain and you have to forgive him to let it go. You have to be able to do that. How do I do it? God can help. There is a remedy for this. If you start praying and you are asking God to heal the brokenness in you and to heal that brokenness in that man, there could just come a time where you just aren't so visceral against him. But don't you ever get around that monster again. Well, if your family has ever molested you, let me tell you this. You're going to have to forgive them, but watch your children around them. Better yet, never put your children around them. Never, but you got to let them go because they're in your head. They're taking up space that God should have. Reconciliation is not tied hard to forgiveness. There's sometimes you just can't get back with them, but you have to let it go. It's killing you. Fourth, forgiveness is good. Fourth myth, forgiveness makes everything better. Uh, even after 70 times 7, it's probably still going to hurt. It's probably still going to hurt. We will always be sinners until we get to heaven. Some sinners are just forgiven. And they get to go. But while sinners are together, even inside this church, 
Sin will compound every once in a while. You get on each other's nerves. It happens that way in families. It happens that way at work. It happens that way at church. It may not always hurt, but sometimes it takes a while. But a lack of forgiveness will stop you from moving on. Forgiveness is the real closure. Relationships demand constant forgiveness. When something happens to Miss Lynn, I understand she's not been mad at me for a month. She's not been mad at me for a month and a half, two months. She doesn't ever speak sharp to me. If she speaks sharp to me, then something's going on. I'm not mad at her. It's water on a duck's back. If, if you just went through a great tragedy and you've lost a bunch and you're going to tell me off, I'm going to think, what are they going through? And if it's your pain talking, it doesn't hurt me. I won't let it hurt me. It will move me to pray for you. But you didn't hurt me. Not at all. If you don't get that way in relationships and forgiving each other, you're going to become bitter. And when you become bitter, it's terrible. If your marriage relationship is not characterized by forgiveness then it doesn't represent the God in heaven who brought you together. Let me ask you, a lack of forgiveness, how's that ever really helped you? How's it helped you? Well, preacher hurt, it's protected me. Really, has it? You're a better person? You're at peace? Peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Are you at peace? Some can't have peace because you're still mad at people and sometimes dead people. So here's what I would ask you. If you want God to start speaking to you, you're going to have to clean the area. And if it's bitterness and unforgiveness, you're going to have to come ask God to do the impossible in your heart and love them through you. Corey Timboom, I don't know if you know much about her or not, a Jewish believer caught up in the concentration camps. While she's in one of the concentration camps, she's watching this one guard who particularly thinks her sister's cute, and he abuses her and abuses her until he kills her. The war is over. Corey Tim Boom comes to the States. She gets better. She becomes a nurse, goes back over to Germany to do some speaking about her time in the concentration camps and the forgiveness she found in Jesus Christ. And in her first assignment, she's speaking. The house is full, standing room only. She sees three quarters on the way back to the left, that guard. She finishes it, and the preachers do what they do here, over there. At the end of the lesson, you go to the back and greet people on the way out. And here this man comes. And here's what she says. God, I need you to forgive that man through me. Because today I can't, but I want to. Help me. And she writes in her books about how God was able over time to let her forgive that man for what he had done. And he no longer held her captive. God came to set you free. Not to see you captive all the time. God wants you to be able to flow with him and walk with him, but not caught up in bitterness and anger and unforgiveness because that monster, when it's rattling the cages, shuts off the noise of heaven and we just can't hear heaven's bells ring. So I want to ask you, I have the problem. Am I what I was in 87 when I got saved? No, not close. But I'm not what I'm going to be. And I still have strides to make. But sitting here feels a whole lot better tonight than it did back in 87.
there's just not as much noise in my head and peace is something I get to enjoy. If you're going to have revival, you're going to have to forgive somebody and there is a remedy. And it's constant prayer. It is hard to stay mad at somebody that you are praying for. Not against. For. 